0: Hello, how you doing out there? This is Dr. Gene Mesko, talking from the Church of Science again. And I've been really busy. It's gotten really busy with life. We won't get into those details. But, hopefully you can appreciate things get busy and you forget stuff. I've been trying to do this. I haven't recorded in a few months. But it all came together recently. Holiday seasons... Family changes, attitude changes, and it's all perceived through the church of science. Uh, I'm coming to you as a mostly hairless ape, an evolving social primate. And I've been trying to talk about evolution as a way of life, as a philosophical stone to anchor yourself on. Because that's ultimately what I figured out, is that you have to have a common belief. You can't have a social system without a common belief. And that's where America went wrong, when they said everybody has the freedom of belief. Belief is a really important thing. I was totally scarred with my Catholic upbringing. and <laughs> had all that baggage from the Catholic Church out there. And that baggage left me with attitudes about religion that were pretty dreadful. I said, this sucks. This is not any fun. Why am I doing this? Why do a bunch of people do this? And I'd done it for the longest time. I thought religion was a bad thing. But then I looked at it from the perspective of evolution, and I said, well, wait a minute. If something persists, if something lasts a long time, there must be something useful about it because that's all evolution does evolution selects for what's useful to help the species survive and reproduce that's evolution in a nutshell and we as evolving social primates we mostly hairless apes have been doing this for thousands of years and the big distinction is how does evolution happen evolution occurs through natural selection which is primarily what biologists study who look at it, and it occurs through artificial selection. Artificial selection is all of this civilization stuff. It's everything that humans have made for thousands of years and all the baggage that's piled on with it. And that includes religions and governments and economies and probably other social adaptations, but those are what I think are the big three. Those three adaptations give us the ability to interact with each other socially. And that's where I'd made the big mistake, was I'd neglected belief systems as something trivial, but they're not because the way evolution works is based on information. And information science is a whole new field. Some people say we live in the information age, And if we live in the information age, we must be processing information. Well, when we do natural selection, the information's down in our genes. It's genetics. It's all that DNA stuff. And we've got that. We've got that pretty well figured out. DNA leads to anatomy and physiology, structure and function helps us build our bodies, but it builds them in response to the environment. And so the environment, thousands, for billions of years, it's just been the natural environment. But probably about 50,000 years ago, humans evolved consciousness. And because they have consciousness, we have the ability to change things. We can think faster than natural selection. That's the bottom line. And the physicists tell us everything's matter and energy and time and space. That's what they've reduced fundamental reality to. And biology manipulates that to resist entropy. And the way biology resists entropy is by using information. Information becomes the medium of evolutionary change and life itself. And how far that extends. Is open to some current philosophical debates, but I just want to focus on living systems. Everything from bacteria to humans evolves. And because humans have this additional adaptation that I, that I call consciousness, a lot of other people call it consciousness too, it exists on a variety of levels. People have... Kind of Awaken their consciousness through a variety of practices. We all think about stuff, and that's just, that's the working definition. We're going to work with that definition and say, humans have the ability to think and be aware of their environment, and they can control their actions. That's being a conscious individual. And if you're taking responsible actions that the group approves of, we call you an adult. We call you a responsible person. And that's part of the social adaptations because that's all we've been ever been able to do is convert humans from animals into thinking civilized humans that's a big distinction because society is not just a, bio, a human phenomena social organisms exist outside of humanity there's lots of animals who form different social groups and they interact and we study society and that's a really useful thing to know because it allows us to sort out the big difference between animal societies and human civilizations, because there are human societies, which are not civilizations. If you're not operating based on what I think are the rules, but here's how this would work because consciousness is an adaptation. Humans have to achieve consciousness to elevate their social organization we could act like animals and we do sometimes that's what a mob is a mob is a bunch of biological evolving social primates a bunch of mostly hairless apes acting on some impulse some emotional impulse and they lose the ability to think about what's going on in the larger society and they and they let their emotions take over and they do things that are violent or angry or mean however you want to think about them but they're doing things that most of us would say are uncivilized if we could sit down and analyze them and because they're uncivilized what does that mean it means they're not following the rules and the rules for a given group vary for any given group there's billions of infinite number of groups if you really think about groups in this level from the idea of evolution it has to do with humans interacting which means a society so each of us can act individually, obviously, but we can also act as groups. And that's the, the, the framework for this model of social evolution. The artificial selection is the ability for humans to act and alter natural selection. And to change the environment, to change the plants and animals around us in the physical space, and, and change the future. That's an amazing thing we can do, this thing called artificial selection. We have the ability to think and change the world. But how do we do it? Well, we do it based on it. A lot of the time, we just go along with what's been done before. That's the essence of religions and governments and economies, the belief systems. Anytime we have a set of ideas that people agree to, we have a society. If it's, well, and actually, that's the difference. We actually have a civilization. Because societies, like I said, can be animal societies, and you can have a bunch of wildebeests deciding based on sensory signals and hormonal cues and environmental stimuli, and they all decide to do whatever they're going to do in terms of migrating wildebeests. Maybe there's consciousness there. Maybe there is some wildebeests who are thinking. We don't know how many animals have consciousness, but we concede that humans have consciousness, that we have the ability to think. If I'm speaking as a neuroscientist, the idea of consciousness comes from the theory of mind. That if I have this ability to do this internal introspection, to identify myself as an individual in a given situation, and experience the passage of time, and I can talk to another human about that, I'm going to assume they have the same abilities. But nobody's ever been able to isolate consciousness and get it down to just that, to identify exactly what it is. But well, we could work with that because that's what science has gotten to. Science has pushed the boundary of knowledge to the level of probabilities. And because probabilities are the best we can do at the boundaries of our knowledge, we work with those. And it works for the most part in science, burrowing down to the smallest aspects of nature, the quantum physicists get down to probabilities. <clears throat> That's where they had so much fun <clears throat> with the Big Bang Theory and physicists. Physicists tell us that there are probabilities out there about how math works, about how these subatomic particles work. And because these subatomic particles only exist probabilistically, we can't we don't have the tools to capture muons and photons and, and, and electrons zipping around subatomic space but we have models that explain them we have models for electrons that are so good that we can build this global communication network that anybody on the planet can listen to somebody else and talk to somebody else because we can send electrons through circuits in different devices and beam information across satellites and around the world into outer space. That's a pretty amazing thing. It's, dare say, miraculous to some, if you don't understand the science. But the science of electronics and computer technology, etc., gives us the knowledge, the capacity to do that. And that's the deal with information. I said evolution works by information. Well, there's two subtypes of information information can be sorted into knowledge which is verifiable information that we use and i argue that science has been the best source of knowledge in the world that we've come up with what is science science is a belief system we'll get back to that but now so science gives us knowledge what's the other option for information is belief belief is the ability to think about things that don't exist Belief is the ability to think that that might be real. Science reduces, in its most formal sense, belief to a hypothesis. A hypothesis is a formal belief that a scientist would state prior to taking on some investigation. That this is how things work, I think. You make a statement, you dare make a claim and say, I think this is real. And then if you're a good scientist, You make observations and research the situation and find out what other people know, and you do experiments and you collect data and you do your analysis and then you make your case. You make your argument intellectually, this is about ideas and information, and you make your case that says this is a real thing, this happens, this is part of life. That's what's beautiful about science: the joy of discovery, that comes with finding things out, because I think that's the essence of artificial selection. The dawn of consciousness, whenever it occurred 50,000 plus years ago in humanity, was the ability to stop and think, to ask, wait a minute, what if I did it this way? Isn't there a better way to do this? And that's when humans became conscious. And we were conscious, and other people were conscious too, and we started practicing with each other and talking to each other and discussing things. And that went on for tens of thousands of years as we wandered about the planet as hunter-gatherers. And as we did that, we evolved social systems. We evolved rules about how to behave in a group. And initially, it was just family. It was no different than the genetic impulses that trickle up through our brains from our bodies in wildebeests or any other social animal and that told you, oh, we should behave. Oh, I should, I should pay attention to my group. It's safer in my group. If we stick together, there's more likely to survive and reproduce. That drives natural selection. That's why there's social organization in some animals in different species. But consciousness, whether or not it exists in animals, we're going to accept that it exists in humans, gave us the ability to stop and think and ask additional questions. All right, yeah, we're surviving, but what does that mean? Any question you want is what... That's the whole idea of consciousness. Brains are what-if machines. Marvel Comics nailed it with what-ifs. That's because that's a beautiful, fun game to play. What if this happened this way? What if something else went on? That is artificial selection at its core. Brains asking questions. And when brains ask questions, they find solutions. (laughs) If you want to survive. And so over the years, humans have figured out how to be together as social groups... And we operate from sharing knowledge. and But then we also have beliefs because we don't have complete knowledge. We need information to function. We're figuring out our genetic information. That's going on all the time in research labs all over the world. Genetics and DNA are telling us all sorts of interesting things about our species and about the history of life on Earth. And that's going to continue at some level, depending on our social will, our social interests, how we decide to run our societies. And that's the essence of government and economies. So they're the other two big adaptations besides belief systems, because we end up, we have to still deal with the natural world. Dealing with the natural world is how, is why we have economies. Because however, the, whatever drove this transitions from hunter-gatherers to agricultural economies to urban civilizations to academic disciplines to economic markets all of those things were reactions to solving problems that's the essence of artificial selection that's the essence of humanity being a conscious social organism that's evolving as a species here on earth once again back to an evolutionary perspective and when you take that evolutionary perspective and you talk about it as the primary thing that drives our social organization, that changes things. Because what was done prior to science and evolution? Why was Darwin such a big deal and why did he upset so many people? Because he proposed that maybe this God thing wasn't relevant because that was the big answer to our questions for thousands of years. We tried to figure stuff out as soon as we could think. We were trying to figure stuff out. By definition, once we have consciousness, the function of consciousness from an evolutionary perspective is to solve problems. So you ask questions and you get answers. When you get answers that make sense to everybody that shows how the world really works, that is that creates knowledge. That gives us the information that's coded for some pattern of matter and energy and time and space that allows us to sort things out. And that's what information is. That's what functional evolutionary information is. And functional evolutionary information helps us survive. So genetics does that at the biological level of natural selection, but at the level of social selection, at the level of evolution for human societies, we have to consider the phenomena of artificial selection. And if it's the same if artificial selection is, is, is just a continuation of the evolutionary process you just have to ask the same questions that you do for natural selection and the same questions for natural selection would be what promotes survival and reproduction what helps the group survive what helps the species survive and that's the way to look at human societies for a given group we have adaptations that help us survive as soon as we started agriculture, or whether it drove it. The selective pressure might have been the limited resources. If you think about humans being a successful species, wandering around being hunter-gatherers, at some point we bumped into each other. We split apart as small family groups. We were probably operating as hunter-gatherers, as small groups, no bigger than a few hundred people. And there's sociology research that would support that. And, but so what does the group of a few hundred people do? They wander around, they eat, they harvest animals, they might generate festivities, they would probably get into some annual cycles, since even hundreds of years ago people could have lived into their fifties and sixties. Uh Utzi, the Australian the Austrian uh, body found in the Alps of though about ten oh oh geez, thirty years ago. It was melted it was on a glacier that was that was revealed because the ice was finally melting. He was fifty, three hundred years old, but he was forty-five years old. And he was probably a hunter-gatherer based on his physiology and anatomy that we could figure out from his body. Uh, but he was shot in the back with an arrow. <laughs> so whether he was running away or being hunted, the point is he was killed by another human. We had competition. And, uh, and 5,000 years ago, we would have been doing the transition from hunter-gatherer to agriculture. Agriculture started in some places 10,000 years ago. But there were still hunter-gatherers from 50,000 years ago, and long lines of humans. Those long lines of humans got into conflicts, no doubt, over the best hunting grounds, the best harvest areas, and then people started doing agriculture, and they kept animals, they herded animals, and planted crops. And all that planting could have been pilfered by a hunter-gatherer wandering through, Somebody might've taken offense at that. And so we had conflicts. So we started to make rules about societies, more rules. We probably had rules before, about how do you act within the group? How do you behave? Who's in charge? That's government. Government is the rules that tell us how to interact with each other. The economy are the rules that tell us how we interact with the natural world. How do we deal with a matter and energy that's available? How do we handle our resources? That's the essence of economic adaptations. We decide how we distribute matter and energy throughout our species, throughout our social group, because our species, we only perceive our social groups. That's the only thing we can handle with consciousness, is we handle what we know, and we know our social groups. If you're not educated about the world, if you didn't know that there are 195 countries in the world and didn't go to school and be given all that information, you would just operate with your local social group. If we didn't have electronic communications, you wouldn't know about global issues. But and that's overwhelming to a lot of people, to process that. We're at the cusp of this new global civilization. And we have to figure out what's the best way to structure it. And that's where evolution comes in. Because up until now, the primary tool that we've used as a belief system have been religions. And religions are passé. Religions are going the way of the dinosaur. They're, they will go extinct eventually because humans at the they may not go extinct. Well, some will go extinct. A lot of religions have already gone extinct. That's the fun thing about looking at things from an evolutionary perspective. You can look and see how things change. And the change that's coming, the change that needs to happen, if we want to survive at a high functioning level, is science needs to become our major belief system that's where we are in terms of our evolutionary history science is our major belief system and because science is our major belief system or it should be our major belief system we accept things like evolution and we say evolution's real we are evolving social primates living on a planet with millions of other species who can trace the history of our of our life back three and a half billion years to the first microbes that evolved in the primordial soup of the ancient oceans. And that's who we are. We're, evolved, we're mostly hairless apes, and that's, and, and, but we've conquered the planet. We've become the alpha predators. There are 8 billion plus of us on the planet on, right now. And we organize ourselves into all these social groups. How many social groups? Well, if you accept that a social group can be any two people or more then it's eight billion factorial, which is essentially infinite. We have infinite numbers of social groups. But which are the functional social groups? That's the idea from an evolutionary perspective. What works? What works is what persists, what helps the group survive and become more efficient and outcompete other groups. And that's what we've been doing for thousands of years. We've all had our own groups. We've all picked up different adaptations and we've been competing and cooperating and we balance competing and cooperation at different levels and we've built up to the point where we have these nation states 195 nation states we have the United Nations we have social groups within every one of those groups we have political parties we have families, we have cities, we have sports teams we have bowling leagues we have all sorts of social groups which are the most functional which ones help us persist that is the question for the day and the question for the day from an evolutionary perspective is what do we select for in terms of that group behavior in order to promote the, most, the best civilization we can, the best organization? Because that's what a civilization is. It's a society based on intellectual ideas. It's a society that, that has conscious individuals in it. Consciousness becomes our major adaptation for functionality for humans, the, our ability to think is what sets us apart from the other animals you know, we do it better if other animals have consciousness they don't do it as be- as well as we do maybe it's the addition of opposable thumbs because you know, dolphins seem to be pretty smart but we have these opposable thumbs and, and we can manipulate tools and we think about stuff and we build stuff and we change the planet and we've been doing it for thousands of years and how do we change it for the better that becomes the question That's why belief becomes so important, because ultimately we don't know why we're here. Nobody knows. That's why gods exist. We've created gods for thousands of years to answer the question, why are we here? What's good in life? um, (laughs) If you're Conan the Destroyer, Conan the Barbarian, you might be asked the question, what is good in life? And he fans that old movie and he would have answered, if you're a barbarian, you would say, to crush your enemies to see them driven before you and to hear the lamentations of their women. That's what Conan the barbarian would say is good about life. And you may or may not agree with that philosophy. That's a belief system. That was Conan's belief system. And if you're a barbarian, that's what you do. You decide that physical force is the ultimate good. And that if I'm stronger than you, if we can beat you up, we're better. That's why most civilizations have some form of military, is because they've realized that dealing with other humans can be a violent practice sometimes. And at some point, times, we hit points where we just disagree with each other. And when you can't talk to somebody, when you have nothing in common anymore, or so few things in common that you don't even recognize them, then we fight. And we've done that for thousands of years, too. We've been doing that for a long time. So the question becomes, how much fighting do we want to do? Do we want to use that belief system? Or do we want to use another belief system? A lot of religions have said we should take care of each other. Those have been very successful adaptations, as long as you believe in the same deity. The the Jews came along, the Egyptians came along, the Romans came along, the Buddhists came along, the Hindus came along, the the Muslims came along, the, the Catholics came along, the Christians came along, All of these different religions have come along. and You could go back and find all sorts of ancient ones. And they worked for a given group for a given amount of time as a major organization principle that allowed them to compete against other societies. And we're at a point where we're competing now, globally. A lot of our tensions and fighting, if you go back to it, are about religion. What should we be doing because this God says that or that God says that? And I hereby propose that if we want to have a civilization that works better, we need to drop the religion stuff. We need to drop the religion stuff and say, all right, we're having a social issue here. We have an issue that we disagree about. And as far as the economy or the government goes, which are the only things we should be talking about for social organizations, that's what the American founding fathers were trying to get at. They were trying to get at the idea of moving past belief systems. If, and the logical argument would be this, if your belief system is the only or the primary reason you're promoting a given idea, a piece of information that you think is real, but nobody else needs to accept that. You can't prove it to anybody else. If that's your your Main rationale, if that's your main reason for pushing for a law or a change to the economy, then the question has to become why should we do that? Why should we listen to you if it's just your belief? If you just because your God says so, I don't have to listen to that if my God says something different. My beliefs are different than yours. If my beliefs are different than yours, we don't have to. Listen to each other. That's what's caused fighting over the years. And that fighting over the years gives us a whole bunch of trouble. So that's where we are right now. And so for this ramble, (laughs) that's the big picture that I needed to get out. And I realized that's what I've been sitting on. That's what Darwin sat on for years. I don't mean to compare myself to Charles Darwin. I just think I'm trying to follow his steps. And, And I think one of the challenges that he faced was that he lived in the British Empire. British Empire was a beautiful thing that said, we can take over a quarter of the planet. They ran a quarter of the planet a hundred years ago, hundred plus years ago. And because they'd lined up their government and their economy and their belief systems, all, all has synergized with each other and they were able to take things over. And then it all blew up in the 20th century. And we'll have to talk about that on the next episode. <laughs>